Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. This is episode 15. Anyone got any cool facts about the number 15? It's been 15 weeks, Matt. We've been doing it for 15 weeks. 15 weeks. (laughs) Or in 2020 time. 200 years. <laughs> if this podcast was a person, I would be trying to throw it a quinceanera. I knew she was going to say that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Same age as my cat, for anyone yeah. who picked up on that. Shout yeah. out to Holly. Yeah. I just want to point out, you don't, you don't have a quinceanera when you're 15 weeks old. That's not, that's not a thing, ladies. <laughs> Sorry, can I just back this train up? Number one, Matt Jarvis is called uh, Loli's cat Holly. That's his cat. <laughs> Uh, number two, uh, Matt Jarvis and I went to uh, those celebrations, Lolis. We did. The, my cat's considered yeah. was the last thing I did before lockdown. I know, same. Also. The, the fateful event. I wonder if it was cursed. <laughs> hey, no. I mean, it was pretty cursed before, before any results, yeah. I think. It was, yeah, it was very nice. But yeah. we're not here to talk about Honey's Quinceanera. <laughs> Uh, as as fun as it was, we ever been. and <laughs> as many centuries ago as it was, uh, we are here, of course, to discuss board games and tabletop RPGs. I am Matt Jarvis. I don't know if I already said my name, but I'm Matt Jarvis. Remember the name three times. Uh, I'm joined this week by three of the team. I'm joined by Wheels, Michael Whelan. How are you doing? Wheels, Michael Whelan this time. I thought it was Michael Whelan Wheels. Uh, yeah, no, been, I'm good. Been promoted to Wheels, Michael Whelan. Oh, uh, you've evolved like a Pokemon. <laughs> First officer, Wheels, Michael Whelan. Like a Pokemon? <laughs> Yeah. Like, no, no one's, the audio is going to hear it. Not that Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, Mian's wearing a swoop out t-shirt for anyone mm. listening. Swoop out of no relation to Michael Whelan. Um, yeah, because swoop out's lovely and cute. <laughs> Whoa. <gasps> yeah, you heard uh, it. Well, I suppose we'll move on to uh, Alex Mian, who of course joins us from Swoop Out County. <laughs> is that uh, a bit, yeah, the I'm Avenged sh- Sevenfold song? I... <laughs> I'm the sheriff for Swoobat County, um, so I make sure that no wrongdoing is happening involving Swoobats. Hence Get why more corrupt I fe- police states. <laughs> I, hence why I felt the need to defend against Mr. Whelan's claim. Anyway, fantastic. And finally, of course, we have Alex Lowley's owner of Honey and yeah, thrower of Hello, cat birthday I'm the party. most normal one here. Nice to meet you. Wow, claim. Flexing. Thank you for joining us, lovely listeners, uh, whether you're 15 weeks old, 15 years old, or a cat. Uh, uh, That's pretty much our demographic, (laughs) to be fair. The three genders. It's a very small demographic. Uh, Let's, let's of course, open, as we usually do, by discussing what we've been playing. And let's start with... Let's start with Alex Lowley's, because you've written in this document, Freestyle. And (laughs) I want to know... What you freestyle. That's the same thing I wrote into the document last week because I've played nothing and I'm freestyling it live on mm. air. Um, I've played nothing. Otherwise, new uh, board game news for me is also nothing. At least last week I had news about Quinto sheets being printed. I don't even have that. Mm. There's literally nothing going on in my life board game related. I am expecting some games to arrive in my house soon. So I might have some news in the future. <laughs> But uh, at the moment, nothing new. I've been playing nothing. And I'll pass it on to Alex and Ian. Well, I, I would just say I'm in pretty much the exact same situation where I'm waiting oh. for games to arrive. Uh, if Tim is listening, 
uh, I'm, 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 I'm hot at the door just waiting for it. <laughs> the goblin? Uh, apart from that, that's about it. <laughs> we both said the goblin, at least. Asmodee Tim, not yeah. Goblin Tim. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. This is what the people tune into this bo- explicitly board game podcast for is <laughs> <laughs> the opening of, yeah, nothing really. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're just trying to get the, we're trying to get rid of, get the, get the, yeah. the, the nothings out of the way. Yeah, so get to the meat of the podcast, which Come is, in. of course, yeah. news slash general discussion, 15 to 30 minutes. <laughs> we got to build it up. You got to build it up. You don't want to go off uh, talking about board games and then come to us and be like, oh, well, True. You know, this is going to bring the, the yeah. whole energy down. Fant- okay. Sure, we'll go with that. Alex, Miam, what have you been playing? Please I, say you've been playing something. Yeah, I've been playing stuff. Um, uh, my last, well, uh, peek behind the curtain. I, although technically when the people watch Slash Litness, it won't be last night. But last night, um, I taught my friends how to play Horrified, which I don't know if people remember... We streamed. Uh, we streamed it, yeah. Dribble yeah. Wheels back in the younger days. That. that was one of the first. Um, that was your first stream, wasn't it? Uh, no. Or maybe second, because the first was Icarus. Yeah, the first one we did was Icarus. <laughs> <laughs> Which the ripples of that event still <laughs> like. I just want to say, like Matt Jarvis has formed an opinion about Icarus based on that stream, and I think that's entirely unfair. <laughs> so, what opinion have I formed? No, I, I, I like. That's I remember having I a conversation with you about it, and you were like, "Yeah, I wasn't that keen on Icarus." And, and I was like, "You only played it when we talked about stupid crabs on a live stream. That's not fair." I, I really enjoyed that playthrough. I think, yeah, uh, Icarus is just yeah, it's one of those games where it's like it was really fun when we played it. And then I've never gone back to it. But I appreciate that you really love it. <laughs> Aww, you've like brought him like one of those portraits made out of dried pasta. <laughs> and he's like, you know what, I, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> anyway, no, horrified. I can tell you worked really hard on it. <laughs> <laughs> horrified. Yeah, um, for people who didn't watch that stream, firstly, you know, come on step up secondly no i love i love you all uh secondly um yeah it's a co-op game that came out last year um that's kind of based on universal monsters so we're talking classics like the dracula the dracula (laughs) the mummy not that the mummy unfortunately Not, not the, the money, not the mummy, but and the money mummy, and the mummy. Yeah, not Brendan Fraser's the mummy, which I would have preferred, but you know they're trying to stick with the Universal Monsters theme, uh, and various other you know uh, villains, let's call them like that. And um, you're playing as uh, survivors who are trying to stop these villains from doing their their bad things. Um, and you are uh, collecting items to use against them. So each of the monsters have different like uh, ways to be defeated. So last night we played the, um, the most easier setting because they hadn't played the game before. And it had been a while since I played, so I was like, I've got to remember how to do this. Uh, we played by Tabletop Simulator, by the way. Uh, there's a mod on there, which is alright. It has a rule book. I mean, that's something. 
Uh, that's, I mean, that's more than a lot. Yeah, that's more, fair, yeah. more than a lot of them. Um, and also the standees for the monsters are really hilarious because they're just... I don't know why they've done this. They've just gotten, like, clips of the different actors from the original films <laughs> and put them on there, but they look really weird. So, like, Boris Karloff is on there and... Do you um, like animated clips? Oh, what? Do you mean like a static image or like an animated clip? No, no, just static. Oh, oh gosh. When you said clip, I thought you meant like, no. it's like a gif of Dracula going. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. And that the person had also put the Phantom of the Opera in the mod, which isn't in the original game. And you can tell they've put it in because the monster mat is really funny because it's just like blurry images of from like I don't know which film it is it's one of the earlier ones just like pasted on there and it is you know kudos to them they didn't they clearly are a big fan of, of that film and I we didn't play with that one we, we played with the Dracula and um, <laughs> and the creature from the Black Lagoon who we did not fall in love with because you can't do that unfortunately um, I think that'd be fun but, uh, yeah, you work together to uh, defeat these monsters while making sure they're not attacking you and attacking other villagers. Uh, and you move from different locations and you have different special abilities depending on who you're playing. And, you know, it's it's a very straightforward game, really. Like, there's lots of little bits they have to keep track of. But ultimately, there's not a huge amount to it. And I think they did enjoy it. I w- thought it was okay, but mostly because it's, it was incredibly easy we we played on a very very easy setting and i do think the game is really at its best when you have at least three monsters and to be honest dracula is a massive pushover no offense dracula <laughs> the dracula if, the dracula <laughs> if if you're listening a uh, big fan of uh, <laughs> but kind of a pushover in horrified uh, my favorites are the ones we played with on our stream wheels which is the mummy and Frankenstein the Bride, which I think are really fun because you're not trying to, you know, (coughs) chase them away or kill them. You're just trying to get them to understand what love is and then they can be together. You know, Frankenstein sat there going, I want to know what love is. (laughs) (laughs) If only it was officially licensed with Foreigner as the soundtrack. Will we get copyrighted for that? I hope not. As long as yeah, you don't, no, don't sing more than like... 30 seconds. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get struck down. Perfectly in key with the original. Yeah. Uh, um... Well, excellent. Yeah, I mean, for some reason I started thinking about Hadaway and then trying to make like a play on Hadaway and Horrified. Like, yeah, what, what is, is love? Hadified? That's a great video, by the way. Uh, the Hadaway video. I love it. It's just it oh, epitomizes right. the era. Um but no, uh I would I think I'd like to play the game again with the same group and definitely have at least three monsters, maybe even four because the game is at its best when you're like on the edge of our seats. Cuz when we played on the stream, we did win, but I think we were quite close to losing as well. I feel like we may have slightly cheated perhaps. Yeah, which, I which is a is a common theme on those kind of streams where you're like, you're almost at the end, and you're like, ah, I don't worry about that. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, because it's like the classic sort of pandemic scenario where the best co-op games are the ones where you feel like you're just on the edge of we could lose, we could win mm. at any moment. Uh, also, the art style for that game is, oh, I really like it. That was a chef's kiss, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Now I'm imagining Frankenstein in a in a cooking show with like a chef's hat on and he's just looking really happy and he's like Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> anyway, speaking of Rick film Stein. board games, co-op games, and the era of the eighties. Oh, um, what a segue! Oh, here we go. The most laboured segue in in all of history. Um, I'm going to jump in here and, here and say I've been playing Back to the Future Dice Through Time, which I don't. It's not really a pun. It just is like Dice Through Time. Oh yeah, Sh- it's supposed okay. to be like Rice Through Time. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it depends with that, what accent you say. It in. It'll it'll make sense. Lolis, that sounds like a documentary about rice, <laughs> yeah, about the history of rice. <laughs> You've got to race through time, though. It's giving me a strong memory of seeing a thumbnail on BBC iPlayer through like, for like a documentary called Baking the Perfect Loaf, and it was like <laughs> 10 episodes. Did it have Greg Wallace in it or not? I don't know. <laughs> Just had all so, those weird little flashbacks. Yeah, so this it's, it's a Back to the Future game. I think it's one of like several Back to the Future games coming out at the moment. Um, yeah, there's, there's another, another coming... One. From Prospero Hall, isn't it? Yeah. So there is another uh, one. So this one's Ra- Ravensburger, Ravensburger. Um, and Woo! it's it's fine. <laughs> it's it's the only thing I've played really recently. Um, so and it it's the kind of the most damning thing you can say about a game in some ways, is like it passed the time. Mm. You know. Oh, we didn't hate God. it, but we played it to the end. So it's it's a co-op game. And there are the four timelines from the Back to the Future uh, mm-hmm. movie trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and you jump between them by... You roll dice and then you spend dice to move between locations, move between times, um, occasionally push Biff around one of four different <laughs> Biffs who are just hanging out. And you're trying to... Events happen um, on locations each turn and then you have to go there you spend your dice to solve the events that gives you an item like a skateboard or the almanac the sports almanac and then you have to return those items to whence they came um and that's kind of the game and that was mm. it, like it was fine mm. but it was also one of those things where particularly towards the end it was like we've been doing the same thing and it just kind of it just kind of is this mm. you know and it never really felt like it shifted things up but it's it's perfectly okay. You know, if you really love Back to the Future, like the art style's fine. It's got some of those little... It's got the things you know from Back to the yeah. Future. You'll go, oh, look, there's the old uh, high school, Hill Valley High School. And then here, there's there's Biff, and there's there's older Biff, and there's, like, Western Biff. And the cards have a picture of a chicken in the corner because he calls McFly a chicken. Nobody calls me chicken. Oh, right. Yeah, it, oh, God, I hate license games so much. <laughs> yeah. I forgot that Biff was in the third one because, like, my memories of the third one are so vague because I literally seen it once and that was years ago. Um, I forgot that he's in it, uh, and I kind of like, why did they bother? Because the setting of it is just so off the the beaten track compared to the last two. They're like, oh, we better keep some, you know, continuity here. Let's just stick. 
Biff in it. Yeah. They should have biffed Biff, am I right? Oh. I mean, I, I like the films. I think probably out of the whole team, uh, the response when this was like, hey, does anyone want to play this? It was... It was pretty dire, wasn't yeah. it? It was like, never seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. I don't really care. <laughs> I like the first one well enough. I think it's still weird. Oh. Like, um, I, I think it's of that era. And, you know, like the bit when he plays the guitar is pretty good. Yeah. And, um, you know, Michael J. Fox yeah. is... As far as I know, he seems to be a quite a nice person. <laughs> Sometimes you never know, but true, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, again, you know, they're not not my favorite films in the world. Like I like them well enough, and this game is it's perfectly okay. Mm. This is probably longer than anyone will ever talk about <laughs> Back to the Future Dice Through Time. The thing is, um, we barely talked about the game. We mostly talked rubbish about the film. Ah, uh, but. <laughs> You know, I think it's it's one of those things though where actually nowadays, like if this had come out, I don't know, twenty years ago or let's say forty years ago, whenever Back to the Future One came out, it would have been outstanding for the time. Like as a licensed movie game, like yeah. it would have been, you know, head and shoulders. Forty above years. Else. But but I think nowadays, like the standard is just so high for yeah. like even movie board games, which usually were kind of like the dregs. Left over, like the tiny just having an existential crisis in the background. So, <laughs> guys, the eighties was forty years ago. Yeah, yeah loneliness. Mm-hmm. How's I w- that reality? I wasn't even alive then. Like I, I wasn't. None even, of us were. <laughs> I wasn't even thought of then, lonely. None I of us were. We're all cost. under forty here. <laughs> What do you say? Anyway, before we get into nostalgia about the eighties, where we a, a re- an era that we did not. <laughs> yeah, the inhabit. thing is, I have absolutely no nostalgia for the eighties. I really like. I won't go into it, but obviously, not being alive then doesn't help. But like, <laughs> it's mostly like you know the concepts of the eighties, like. The music. I'm the oldest one here, and I was born in 1990, right? <laughs> oh, so let's move on, because Johnny's not here, and Johnny can't speak for the 80s. Johnny, you need to come in here and defend the 80s. We've got a call coming in from the 80s. It's <laughs> Johnny the oldest man on earth here. Who's <laughs> Sorry, if we're getting a call from the 80s, you need to put this. Oh, hang on. Hello? <laughs> Let me just extend my... <laughs> Uh, Matt Jarvis, but... please. All this miming is great for podcasts. Yeah, listeners. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but let's take some what, more mime humour. <laughs> it sets up a very neat little segue. Well, I say neat. It's not neat at all. It's about as neat as the last one. But talking of going back in time, um, there has <laughs> been the games. the first teaser trailer. Moving into news now. If nobody could tell that, because yeah. it was so smooth that transition. <laughs> oh, Ooh, it's like oh, we're suddenly butter, in news town. Like, you look around and there's headlines where you expected <laughs> opinions. Um, but yes, moving into Newstown, the first teaser trailer for <laughs> Pandemic Legacy season. Wait for it. Zero. Zero. Not free. Zero. There's thought. no season. So yes, uh, we actually had the exclusive on this. Uh, us being Dicebreaker. Mm. Um, so we were able to put out the the first kind of full announcement teaser trailer for Pandemic Legacy season zero. Uh, which you can now watch on the website or on the YouTube channel. Zero, zero, um, zero, zero. 
<laughs> and it it basically reveals that the the third and final game in the Pandemic Legacy trilogy will be a prequel. No, uh, it's the zero. <laughs> I should have really read the rest of the article. I, I saw the zero part. You're such a fake Dicebreaker fan, Lolis. <laughs> yeah, name three of their albums. Come on. <laughs> name three of their top ten lists. Uh, the Train uh, song. The New Song. All the stuff okay. we didn't make and someone sent into us. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so the long and short of this is, because it, it's a short teaser trailer, um, and beyond the confirmation that it is called Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. Um, there's no official announcement yet as to when it takes place. Um, there have been some rumours floating around based on a leaked box cover um, that it will take place during a kind of Cold War setting because the box cover that leaked out um, kind of has your classic spy in sunglasses and Matt Jarvis, what, what leaked out of the box? <laughs> Jam. Spies. All the diseases. Um, it's also got like the sort of doomsday clock motif in the trailer, hasn't it? Which kind of yes, it's got a kind of Cold War vibe. So mm. yes. Yeah. Oh, no. What's uh, wrong, and... What's wrong? Tell us what's wrong. I just don't like stuff that's set in wars. I mean, the Cold War is a very different kind of war, Loli. It's It was more of a war of, of sort of infiltration and secret spies and stuff like that. Like, I, from what I remember, again, don't count me on this, there weren't a heck of a lot of actual physical military wars. It, yeah, it's more of a will-they-won't-they they scenario. Will-they-won't-they? Yeah. They, won't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> instead of romance, it's nuclear apocalypse? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Uh, Well, there is, to to kind of end that, so yeah, the the trailer shows a doomsday clock, as we all said, and then on the left-hand side, there's a filing cabinet that says M-O-N-S on the label and has kind of like a very James Bondy kind of, like, gun logo. Um, Ministry of New Spatulas. (laughs) No, I think it's Mondays. It's short for Mondays. Mons, choose... So yeah, that that's about all we know for the moment. But uh there will be <gasps> let's say there will be more information soon. Um <laughs> perhaps there will be more information on Dicebreaker in the relatively near future. Oh my goodness, Matt Jarvis. Who could, who could say? Don't um, don't you'll certainly have not the editor in chief of Dicebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> uh so so yeah, keep your eyes peeled uh, for that. Um, that will be relatively soon. Um, mm. But they they had originally, there'd been some stuff around Essen last year. Hey, remember Essen? That was a thing. No. Oh. Um, oh, at, the, at the time they had announced, or they'd put out a teaser, a little teaser there that suggested uh, season three, as it was then considered, would be out this spring. But of course, um, with everything going on, and of course the real world pandemic, um, Zedman, which is the publisher, announced that they'd kind of delayed announcements of pandemic games for mm. you know out of respect which is uh fair so there's no current release date at the moment for uh season zero uh, so we'll find out more soon yeah it, uh, never... it kind of makes me want to go back and play season one and two through mm. so that that i because because there's a final game now i feel like i i know how much i'm gonna invest you know i'm only gonna invest in three of them and then i'm done yeah so this is where i'm at mm. yeah <laughs> 
thanks for thanks for letting me giving me the 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 the, the spotlight for a moment. Thank you. Back that, to you in the studio, studio. Matt. <laughs> They're yeah. both really good. I, I don't think nearly as many people played season two as they should have really, but mm. I I really like them. So yeah, yeah, I'm playing, recommend them. Playing through one at the moment, as the listeners and viewers may know. Uh, still still playing through it. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't come up. Didn't come up in your what you've been playing recently, though, did it? Yeah. Oh, what is this? An interrogation? Just... Yeah, and you're failing it. <laughs> <laughs> the lie detector machine go slams the box down on the table. What do you call this? <laughs> Please. We found. <laughs> I found this under your bed. You've been playing, haven't you? There, there has been dust all over it. Matt Jarvis, what you just described felt like an advert for like the ps3 like you know those <laughs> the adverts they used to release of various with the weird you know, baby yeah like the weird baby one like, i do really like the idea of the detective like chucking down a pandemic legacy box it says says in your statement you haven't played since last week but we can see that you've ripped the card that comes with the decision in part four what have you got to say for yourself me and <laughs> i didn't do it officer i swear <laughs> the cat got it <laughs> I don't know how to transition into this one story, so I'm just gonna I'm just oh, gonna come on. drop it on you. Just go. Uh, speaking. I'm gonna see if I can post transition. Uh, post transition. Speaking of the future, when Pandemic Legacy might be released, how about Star Trek set in the future? Hmm? Yay! Hmm? I love Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> me, Alex, me, and you wrote the story of about set in the seventies. A, a new Star yeah. Trek Adventures uh, rulebook. I did! I did do that story, Matt. Um, now, please, as this is a little, just a precursor, um, I know pretty much absolutely nothing about Star Trek. So, Lowly's is probably more qualified to talk about Star Trek in general. Uh, but the new source book is for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, which is by Modifius. The guys who do, like, Dishonored and Conan and all that stuff. Um, they're releasing a new core rulebook for the game, uh, specifically focusing on the Klingon people. Klingon! <laughs> Klingon! <laughs> I don't understand why people like Klingons so much. I don't like the Klingons. <laughs> Watch out, wow. Klingons. Slowly, <laughs> got your number. <laughs> <laughs> they're like they're so like backwards you know i mean uh... it depends on how you're looking at things like they just have a different culture from some of the other people in the galaxy or whatever. i don't know i really don't know enough about star trek but alex xenophobe lowly's in with another hot take <laughs> <laughs> i think they're releasing the source book in an effort to try and get uh give people the opportunity to see things from their side uh being one of apparently the most powerful, I don't know, pe- groups of people in... Muscle men. Yeah, the galaxy. <laughs> um, I, I also do not know anything about Star Trek. Yeah, I know there's something called the Wrath of Khan. Mm. Uh, and I know at some point someone shouts Khan very loudly. But, um, yeah, so this new core book will allow you to play as a Klingon uh, and have your own warship. Uh, and you'll be able to interact with other Klingons. Or is it Klingon? I'm not sure. Um, Klingons is... 
uh, and you'll be able to do like adventures based around their culture and there's loads of other bits about their colonies and various other things it um, sounds like my mum trying to describe my job <laughs> <laughs> look okay I'm trying the best I can I couldn't learn the entire history of Star Trek in the space of an it's not hour, good enough okay? man that's the kind of standards we uphold on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I'll go away and look at like 50 Wikipedia pages, okay? And I'll be back. Looking forward to it. Uh, moving on from a segment that can only be described as painful. A, a mess. Uh, let's move <laughs> oh, is that the seg- segue for the next one? The next game is going to be painful. Oh, yeah, sure. So there's plenty of... We're just going to try and segue our way whole, all the way through this podcast. Smooth as silk. Uh... Speaking of pain... And there's, suffering. <laughs> there's probably a god of pain in Warhammer, right? Well, there's, like, there's, there's a god, god of, of blood, chaos. right? Yeah. yeah. The, uh, blood so, for blood god and all that nonsense. <clears throat> this is uh, Warhammer Age of Sigma, the fantasy uh, version of Warhammer, and there is a new General's Handbook, uh, which is kind of... It's not a brand new full rulebook. It's not a new edition for the game, but it's kind of like an annual update they put out that has a few more rules in and some kind of new game modes and so on. Um, and so the kind of headline from this is that they are introducing the ability to play in teams um, in coalition. It's, it's got kind of an awkward name. The Open War Coalition Battle Generator from JML. <laughs> Billy Mays here with the Open Battle Generator Coalition Generator Battle. <laughs> Uh, but despite oh. the clunky name, it's relatively straightforward in what it does. So there's, uh, you can basically play with three or more people, and you can mash together different factions um, into kind of one big team. So you could yeah. have. And Matt for Jarvis, instance, what you do is you get a bottle of glue and you get your all your figurines <laughs> and you just stick them all together just into roll a big it. ball. Like Sounds like Katamari. me trying to construct my first minis when I was about fifteen. To be honest. <laughs> So yeah, it's 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 basically that you can. There are certain matchups. They there's like a big long table they've put out that shows what matches up with what. You can form coalitions. Uh, it's then supported in all kind of the three main game modes that Age of Sigma has. So match play, open play, and narrative play. Um, other things in the General's Handbook this year are um, aerial combat. I'm just trying to find the official name that they give it. It's something very <laughs> Warhammer. Um, Skies of Slaughter. Is what they call it. Yes, um, it's it's essentially a set of rules. I think it was previously in White Dwarf, the the Games Workshop magazine. Um, it's a set of rules that let you use flying monsters and vehicles to basically have a sky battle. Um, and then other updates, kind of new narrative campaign stuff, a couple of tweaks to point values, things like that. Uh, the the kind of things you would expect if you are into Warhammer. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I've been watching Lonely Space the entire time, <laughs> and it's been great. I love every second of it. <laughs> Moving on into the next thing, uh, let's let's quickly chat about the Ennies. Um, yeah. So for those who don't know, the Ennies are kind of, I don't know if they're the biggest, but they're maybe among the better known kind of RPG awards focused just on role-playing games. Um, they come out every year. They're normally giving out, given out at Gen Con. Of course, Gen Con not happening this year because of the pandemic. Um, so instead, they'll be happening as part of Gen Con Online. Um, but they are player voted or public voted. Um, so the wider wider public can nominate games, and then they are voted upon by the audience rather than like a panel of judges. 
Um, so the the kind of headlines from this year's nominations, which have just been announced, uh, is that Quest, um, which is a Dicebreaker favourite. If you've listened hey! to Dicebreaker, you'll probably have heard of Quest. Um, that's been nominated for, I believe, four different awards. Whoa! Um, Amazing. So, yes, Quest has been nominated for Best Family Game Slash Product, Best Layout and Design, Best Writing and Product of the Year. Um, wow. Which, it's worth pointing out, is separate to Best Game. So Yeah, because they, they also product. have like, supplements and adventures and stuff. And, yeah, and accessories. And so yeah. there are loads of categories at the Ennies. It's a very kind of odd award show. Um, Winning a Best Product Award is like, <laughs> it's so hilariously corporate, isn't it? I love that. <laughs> it's the, yeah, uh, it's the weird thing where you get actual games alongside kind of like a GM screen or mm. a, a set of cards or something like that. Uh, so yeah, so Quest, uh, obviously, if people know Dicebreaker, they probably know that we're, we're pretty big fans of it. It's very beginner-friendly. It's very pretty. Um, so that's up for four. BFF Best Friends Forever. Uh, which is kind of a it's like a very bright colorful role-playing game about friendships between a t- group of tween girls um that has five nominations so that's i think that has maybe more nominations on almost any other game or at least is joint um so that's up for best interior art best family game product best layout and design best production values and product of the year so again like a lot of things surrounding the kind of presentation and so on rather than there are categories for best rules and best writing but uh, other things with a lot of nominations is a Morkborg, which is the Swedish like heavy metal gothic Incredible RPG. Incredible visuals in that yeah. book. Like some of the sickest ass stuff I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, they really have like because you only have like a, I think you have like a pretty short list of weapons you can start with, but like normally you'd have like a little table in like a standard rule book. In this, they're like plastered across a double page spread in like bright yellow and black. And it's like Zweihander in like ten different fonts. It's incredible. <laughs> it's so extra. It's the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's yeah. I I think it's safe to say I don't think I've ever really seen an RPG with that kind of art style. Like there's yeah, been yeah. gothic stuff and kind of abstract stuff, but it's it definitely stands out. It's super heavy metal album kind of vibes. Yeah, like, I think it has a soundtrack as well. Like they they yeah. launched it with a soundtrack, which is like okay, we you know what you're going for here. Yeah. Um, other things with four nominations is Trilemma Adventures, which is kind of a collection of adventures for D&D 5th edition um, oh sorry, that might just be a collection of adventures in general I might be confusing it with something else there um, Zombie World, which is a card driven RPG um, which is up Zombie for Wars. various things, including best game kind of interesting actually, because it's got um, so I've, I've, I've been following the Ennies because there's, uh, there is someone on Twitter who I think is a former judge who's been doing these threads of like just sort of um, going through their like impressions of each of the nominations, uh, and just sort of breaking down why everything is like cool or interesting or, or new or like why it's good for beginners and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think their handle is Pandatheist, so just mash the word panda and atheist together. I don't know why that's their handle, but there you go. Um, but they were talking about that and Sleepaway. I think were the two that um, sort of like grabbed my attention the most because Zombie World and Sleepaway both have kind of like board game mechanics that have been. Like lifted into RPGs, which I think is something that people need to do a lot more of, especially when you get like, you know, like when you go into a combat encounter in D anD D, like you are essentially turning it into a board game in that moment. And like, if if D anD D combat was a board game, I would burn it, right? So like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so like the Zombie World is like a Powered by the Apocalypse game, but it has 
a deck of cards, which is something that I've seen in um, Who Goes There, the uh, the thing board game, uh, where it's like a deck of cards and like one of them says bite on it and the others are clear, and you keep drawing from the same deck every time you you screw something up. So like if you get bitten by a zombie, like if there's every time somebody does something really bad, they're all just sort of dwindling the amount of time you have before somebody inevitably is going to die, which is really cool. Um, but Sleep Away, and you might be interested in this, ladies, um, it's GMless, so you don't have anyone telling the story, you don't have anyone controlling it, but there is a traitor mechanic in it, so you're all like, I think it's really, like, it's a really weird theme, you need to read up on it to sort of understand what's going on, it's really cool though. Um, you're all in like this summer camp, like you're in a slasher film or something like that, um, but there's this weird creature that acts like in between the sessions and stuff and whenever um so you will take your actions and you do your things but whenever the monster acts everybody like draws a card as if they were playing werewolf or something and then closes their eyes and whoever is playing the monster will then like lay out the actions of the monster to affect one of the other players so then they'll wake up and things will have happened to them and stuff like that it's really interesting and really cool and I probably awesome. I probably haven't described it very well but I thoroughly recommend um, reading up on that that's one of the other nominees uh, and it looks very very cool it's yeah. also like yeah it's just like super different which I'm, is always like the first thing I look out for when I'm looking at new RPGs it's like yeah I was chatting with Johnny about this a little bit I think and it's generally a consensus I'm not an expert by any degrees on this but um, like I think this year it seems to be a much more kind of indie focused list mm. than usual there's no real there's no official D&D stuff on there for instance there's no real kind of obvious kind of license you know, yeah like. yeah it's it's a lot of like experimental indie stuff and i think that ties into what you're saying wills of like we're just seeing people kind of take it beyond the like the typical idea of like roll some dice move mm. some figures um so yeah, i'll wrap through uh, a few more of the nominations so yeah so in, in best family game and product category there's bff and quest mm-hmm. uh jim henson's labyrinth hey, you know, the we played game, that. which we played on the channel um, the fantastically titled The Excellence, colon, Excellent Princess Role-Playing. Um, and the second volume of Strange Adventures for Kids on Bikes, which is the kind of very light Stranger Things-esque uh, role-playing game, which I think is by one of the co-designers of Dead of Winter, uh, Jonathan Gilmore. Um, and then Best Game, which is uh, obviously another big category, um, includes Alien, the RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, which Richard Jensen Parks gave a very positive review uh, on the website last year, um, alongside A Cool and Lonely Courage, Morkborg, uh, Royal Blood, and Zombie World. So those are kind of your front runners for best game. Um, there are, like I say, there are loads of categories. Like we've obviously got a story on the site. If you want more information there, it's on the um, the any site as well. It's worth saying here, though, and being upfront about this, is the Lancer, which is the mech RPG. Um, was nominated for Best Electronic Book, so kind of fully digital uh, release. Um, like I say, the, the nominations are... absolutely deserving of, by the way. Like, the the electronic um, like aspects of Lanta. Basically, they have like an entire app-slash-website where you build your character and you like equip your mech and like everything is just done through this one app and it's smooth and very cool-looking and... like. Definitely like a, a very kind of like D and D Beyond, but for for its own system kind of thing. It's it's very very easy to use, very like video gamey. So it's like very easy to like get into the rule set and stuff. So yeah, like, yeah, it was very much deserving of it. But 
I'll let you know, carry on with the the more important bit of this. Yeah, so so in short, obviously, like I say, they're, they're all nominated by the public, so they it wasn't the publisher necessarily putting themselves forward for this, um, but Massive Press, which is the publisher behind Lancer, requested um, that its nomination be withdrawn uh, for Best Electronic Book um, in response to Blood and the Chocolate, which is a supplement for Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Um, it received an award for Best Adventure from the NEs back in 2017, um, and Massive Press uh, posted their um, email to the NE's jury or organisers on Twitter, um, basically saying they wish to be withdrawn in response to the fact that uh, Blood and the Chocolate had won because it contains uh, casual graphic sexual assault and racism um, and criticised the NE Wars for implicitly endorsing openly harmful gaming products. Um, so, yeah, like, it's, it's a lot to discuss on this podcast. Like, we're not experts on that particular supplement, but obviously be aware of that like um and it was put forward and was withdrawn uh, so it was replaced by um uncaged volume three which is a collection of adventures for D fifth edition that kind of take typical tropes and uh, stereotypes of uh female mythological creatures and kind of flip them uh, mm-hmm. and subvert them uh, mm. so yeah that that's been replaced so lancer is no longer in the running um, but all of the, the winners, so the, the way the Ennies work is they give kind of like bronze, silver and gold medals within categories. So there's a loads of categories and then yeah. each one has multiple winners. Um, but they will be announced on July 31st as part of Gen Con Online. So we'll, we'll see what comes out of that. Mm, no, I heard, I've, I swear I've come across Uncaged before. Sorry, as soon as you said D&D 5e, I was like, oh God, here we go. And then you said, oh, it's the Uncaged like module and I was like oh no I've heard like really good things about that um, yeah because I'm pretty sure there's stuff like about medusas and you know uh, yeah uh, female monsters like that uh, and I really should read up more on that um, I, it's a shame I swear I heard good things about Lamentations of the Flame Princess I, I've heard pretty terrible things yeah, about I've Lamentations heard, of the Flame it's... Princess it's incredibly like edgy. It's like yeah. oh. what what's all the worst things we can put in a book and it's like yeah. That's a shame. It's it gives me I get a hard eye roll whenever I hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh moving on to uh, other other news back to board games um there's the we'll rattle through these because they're both quite quick stories uh me and you wrote this story about the final game in the century golem trilogy mm. yeah uh yeah century spice road is probably the one that people most recognize and then there's two sequels direct sequels to spice road and then essentially spice road was made into a fantasy version called century golem uh, where like spice is just replaced by like crystals, and there's some sort of I think it's called like Caravania or something in the world. Uh, but then they made a fantasy version of the uh, second game, which I think was called something Eastern Wonders. Eastern Wonders, that's the one. And they made a golem. Yeah, so people probably remember Century Spice Road, uh, which was the first game in the series. Uh, and it received two sequels after that, Eastern Wonders and The New World, I believe. Uh, And then Spice Road was also made into a fantasy version called uh, Sentry Golem, where spices are basically replaced by crystals and the magical stuff going on. 
uh, and that did that originally was just going to be a standalone thing, but then it did so well they were like, oh, let's make a version of Eastern Wonders, uh, and now they're doing a version of uh, the New World called and Endless World, I believe. Matt, a whole Matt's new world. <laughs> Yeah. An endless world for you and me. Yeah. <laughs> I wondered how long that was going to come for. <laughs> Let me just give her a bit longer. It's really I was praying it. for a quick release. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, there's not a huge amount about it out there yet, but um, were you going to say something, Matt? Oh, sorry. No, I was. I think from I haven't played the Golem editions myself. I've played the the Century games. From what I know, they are basic. They're the same games, but like you say, the the cubes are swapped for little gems. Yeah. But they are they're mechanically identical. Um, mm. But I think they because you can meld them together. So I think they give the the mishmashes different names because they all have like it's like from sun to sea is Spice Road plus Eastern Wonders, and then. You can put all three together, and then this, that, and the other. So I think they also get different names in the fancy one, but but I think they are, for all intents and purposes, the the same game. Yeah, there there's a, there's golems in it, and <laughs> some of them help you find crystals and stuff. Crystals. 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 <laughs> Look how many crystals I have. <laughs> all right, uh, excellent. Uh, so, do, is there a release date on that? Do we know when it's coming out? I don't know if I have One Alex Meehan has written in this Dicebreaker.com story that will be released in the fourth quarter of this year. And there you go. $40 or around £32. A past self wrote that. <laughs> I don't know who this Alex Meehan is, but perhaps we should get her on the podcast instead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to rattle through the next news story very quickly because, again, it's a quick one. But um, I received this email and then saw it pop up online. There's a board game documentary that's just been released. Uh, called Game Master, all one word, um, which upsets oh, my Dicebreaker style guide <laughs> immensely. Um, but it is, and it's it's kind of a funny title because it's about board games, not RPGs. So it's it's following. It's kind of like I don't know if any of you have watched like Indie Game the movie from mm. gosh ages ago now, which I'm was about video game it. developers. The only movie that was released on Steam. <laughs> yeah, that? God. But it seems it seems very much along those lines where they have. I think there's four or five kind of de- uh, designers looking to break into the world of board games with their first design or first kind of published title, and then they've got familiar faces. So they've got Matt Leacock of Pandemic. They've got Klaus Tuber. Um, of Catan, they've got um, I think Bruno Kafala's in there somewhere, Eric Lang um, they've got a number of kind of talking heads who pop up and chat about how they how they made it, how they... Talking heads are in it? <laughs> yeah, oh the talking goodness. heads David Byrne. You may find yourself making a new <laughs> board game <laughs> uh, They yeah, so they pop up, there was one I'm just going to find Rainer Knizia who is in there uh, Rainer <laughs> Of Knizia, course he's in there that's yeah, sly of, dog of every game you've <laughs> of almost every game you've ever I heard mean of. that in the best way I love him I would love to be in the room when like Alex Meehan meets Riken it's you know, I and gives him a little him. pat I'm on the back there alright Ryan how's it going son uh, have you ever met him he's he's uh, yeah I've he's talked to him before he's, lovely, yeah. he's, oh, okay. he's great <laughs> okay when you next see him then not me okay 
So yeah, um, the tra- the trailer for the the film. The film is about an hour and a half long, so it's a feature length documentary. Um, he just says the worst thing you can do as a game designer is fall in love with one of your designs, which does not work. <laughs> which is like, it's interesting, particularly coming from Rainer Knizia, because he has made some incredible games, but he also just makes so many games. Mm. Like some of them are not as strong as you know the classics. They're all they're all interesting in their own way. But I think more than maybe anyone else, he really puts them out. Proper workhorses, um, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but there's also so there's there's all these kind of well-known names, and then there's also uh, Nashra uh, Balagamwala who made a game called Arranged, which was up on Kickstarter, I think, a couple of years ago, um, and it's kind of like an experimental board game about arranged marriage um, that mm. she made, I think, based on her own experiences. So it's, I think, you know, it's not just a documentary that seems to be playing the hits again to some degree. Mm. It seems to. Yeah, go that extra kind of layer deeper. It's not just oh, Catan's popular, right? Um, it seems like they're kind of giving, they're diving into the the further reaches of the the industry and kind of looking at some interesting things. So I'm I'm interested to check it out. I think it's up on iTunes. It's like five dollars to rent it. Oh God, um, why is it on iTunes? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not part of the studio. <laughs> Um, Matt Jarvis, why is it on iTunes? Why did you put it why there? Why did you put it on iTunes, Matt Jarvis? I will Nobody say that I, found it. It. I, was, I was watching the trailer while writing up the the new story um, and to get an idea about it, and I found it a bit of a kind of it was a bit of a gut wrench to be honest, because there are multiple shots of I think Packs Unplugged, um, of which we are part of the same network, and we should be upfront about that. But I think there's shots of various conventions and people in halls. It was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Um, but it's a it's a lot of like Klaus Tuber sat at home going, yep, I made a lot of money with Catan. It turns out, Catan <laughs> <laughs> real popular. Did you try and like spot yourself when when I had the footage of the conventions? Uh, I did see not. See if you can see yourself in the crowd. The odds uh, of that are like so wild. It's like a, it's like a live where's Wally. <laughs> you never know. You, you never, never know. know. I'm gonna start wearing large hats just for that. <laughs> 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 incredibly tall top hats. Yeah. Uh, finally, to finish, to round up this week's news. Just in case something. <laughs> you never know when someone's making a duck. Yeah, it says on ready. the. It says on the top of the hat, "I'm Matt Jarvis." It's me. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> oh, like it's just a massive arrow. What do you think of me? Um, as I was trying to do, wrapping up this week's news. Uh, another very quick one, Alex Meehan, there's new code names, or not new code names, old code names, but in a new form. Yeah, there's enough versions of code names, I think, to last us a lifetime. But um, yeah, you can now play code names online with your friends uh, using the Code Names Online website. Uh, it's free to play. You just create a room, uh, select your language, and then share the URL with whoever you want to play with. Uh, it's a little bit like Jackbox in that way, uh, sort of. Uh, and yeah, you can just play Code Names for free, and it's pretty good. We like Code Names. Mm. It's worth saying here; it's legit as well. Yeah, it's no, it's mm. official. It's not some shifty business. Don't worry, we we wouldn't do that. Uh, that's about it, really. It's just Code right. Names, you know. That's news. Moving on to that's questions from the audience uh if you'd like to send in a question for the team you can email us at podcast at dicebreaker.com or you can tweet us at join dicebreaker uh, or send out the pigeon instagram 
Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of this first question, personally. Uh, well, in that case, uh, Will's <gasps> Michael Whelan, you oh. may read it. Hi, Dice Freaky Gang. Uh, you guys have been absolute saviours getting me through lockdown. Thanks oh. for all the amazing content you've given us. Thank you very much, Ed, for watching. Uh, my question is this. If you're playing a game that involves different coloured meeples or game pieces, what is everyone's go-to colour? I always seem to gravitate gravitate towards yellow. Thanks, Ed Sale. Shout out to Ed Sale for the best colour that there is selected. Uh, Matt has just removed the yellow highlight and turned it into red, which I feel like is some kind of like slight against my colour choice. No, that's uh, just what I do in the podcast. This, <laughs> this is what I do um, when we've read a question. He's changed. He's changed it to the actual best. Shut up, no, 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 one, no one cares about your red propaganda. Oh, nobody can see, but. I've got a, a giant red meeple at home and everything. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of yellow. I do think we should... Um, well, actually, let me let me step back and, and everyone say their favourite colours. We've heard Lodi's is red. Green or purple? Green or purple? Which um, upsets me because it's the Joker colour scheme, but that is completely <laughs> coincidental. <laughs> or funny junk. <laughs> uh, for me, it's blue, which upsets me because it's the colour associated with Tories. And also um, the most boring colour. No, it's not. Blue okay. is a lovely colour. My wife is a blue player, so... <laughs> you, yeah, there you go, careful well. where we're throwing shade. <laughs> so what I wanted to say was, um, I think there's like... It, I, I get bored whenever I open a box and it's just yellow, red, green, blue. Like, I, mm. I really like it when... People go for more wacky, different colour schemes. Mm. Um, <laughs> I saw you grimace when I said the word wacky there, Matt Jones. <laughs> um, I think, speaking of Ryan Knizia, there's that, um, you know, Zedman do those like classics remasters kind of thing. I think Taj Mahal have like really lovely, um, like non-traditional colour palette sets mm. and stuff like that. And yeah, like I, I would like to see more colours in yeah. games, you know. I like a teal. Yeah, they're more teal coloured. A beautiful magenta. Yeah, um, you know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain to you why I always play red because my my colour choice has a backstory. Sure, okay, never mind. Let's change the um, conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'll bring it back to where you guys. Just oh, were, great, okay. But just before you go completely off the rails, let me just bring it back to why I, why I play red. So when I was first uh, working in the board game industry so as when i was working as a games guru in a board game cafe the person who um essentially was like my supervisor whose whose job i was replacing this guy called ben and he's a very good friend of mine um and he was going back to australia and so they were looking for somebody to replace him as as a games guru so i got hired and he always played red and i never really i I don't think at that time i had like any like particular preference like i might have picked red anyway but like it just wasn't like i wasn't like one of those people who had to play red or anything um and so when he left he carved out of wood with his own hands carved a meeple and painted it red and handed it to me and was like essentially like oh you will play red for me now because he was always red and so there is a loving backstory as to why i now must always play red because it's a loving backstory that i have and it's not just because i'm a spoiled brat <laughs> Lady, but, what comic book but, did you get this from <laughs> I would like to say that I completely agree. I'm really like I love when I open a game and it's got like different colors. Yeah. Like what if it's got teals or like mm. just just like purples. Like you don't actually get purples. You get purples, but you don't get it as often as you get like red, blue, mm. yellow and so on and so forth. Having said that, 
I've played a game. Whoa, this recently. is taking some turns. This sentence. <laughs> oh boy, this is it's like this a, is a roller coaster. <laughs> this is a roller coaster of emotions we're going through here. Um, I played recently played a game. I actually did a video about it several months ago, which um, uh, I was. I think I got. I, I think when I started the review, I was like, "Oh, this is all right." And by the end of the review, I was like, "This game is terrible." But anyway, one thing that really annoyed me about it was that their color scheme, their color. Oh, palette, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Black, brown, white, and gray. Yeah. And I was like, "This <laughs> is so, so dull." It's like they couldn't find any dye, you know. Or, I think it's because like you draft workers in that game, and they were all different colors, maybe. But like, yeah. Also, I still think that game's good. <laughs> what game is that? It's fine. You played it only once. I played it three times. I want to play it again. The more I played it, the worse it got. <laughs> it was called Paris New Eden. Paris oh, New Eden. That is the Paris one. New yes. Eden. Okay. Yeah. I really Sorry. like that. It's fine. I want to go back. It's to fine that. to play it once, but the more you play it, the worse it gets. And it's just like. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I don't have any colour hot takes, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, allow me to come on with mine. I think it's not that hot take. I think it's just, obviously, there are a lot of games that still don't cater to people who are colourblind, mm. um, which is, you know, kind of unacceptable in this day and age because it's relatively easy to do. There, were lo- there are loads of resources out there that allow you to do that, and particularly board games, I think, more than many things. You know, you can add logos, you can add... Like some games include stickers that you can optionally add to mm. have um, symbols to make them easier to identify. Mm. But even even if you're not um, colorblind, there are often games that have they try and have different colors, but they'll have two colors that are very similar, and mm. then in mm. low light or not ideal lighting conditions, they're really hard to tell apart. I can't remember there was a particular game that did this, and I genuinely couldn't. I was sat, you know right next to it in good lighting and I couldn't tell the pieces apart until I brought them up right to my face. I was oh, like, I'll give, give you an example. Um, we were, I think this was like the tabletop streams I was doing when I was part of CA, but we were doing a stream of um, Memoir 44 and trying to tell apart like dark navy and dark like khaki green like in a studio with lights when a camera is pulled out it's impossible it's who just i know that's like the like the uniform colors of the of the like armies in question but my god is it hard to tell apart oh horrendous but there we go all right uh shall we move on to this next one from jamie alex lowlies would you like to read this one sure hi there As a fresh-faced DM with only a handful of adventures under my belt, I find myself repeatedly coming back to the same question with every new adventure I write. How long is this going to last? I know you've spoken about the process of writing adventures. I'm a big fan of writing the final confrontation and working back as suggested. But I'm unsure if you... Oh, God, it's turning red already. (laughs) 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 Read faster, (laughs) holies! But I'm unsure if you've touched on... It if there is a way to gauge how long your adventure will take to play gauge I'm assuming that should gauge. be it says gauge um, I understand the number of players and their style will affect it but it is a general rule of thumb to know if you've written too much or too little many thanks Jamie so oh. I think with this one uh, <laughs> it's kind of interesting oh God's got me. <laughs> we recently did we, we recently it does played... say gauge <laughs> Come some slack. <laughs> uh, um, we we recently did Desperados. In fact, it was the four of us that played Desperados. 
Um, and I was GMing it, and we were doing what essentially I think is designed as a one-shot. Um, it was a sponsored video. I should be up front. Uh, it's it was a free one-shot in the rulebook, um, and I already knew that I wanted the video to be you know of a reasonable length for the channel, things like that. Um, and so I had kind of trimmed out some parts, abbreviated parts, kind of knew where I could shorten it down. And even then, we spent forty minutes on the opening train sequence. But it's that thing of, it was working so well. Like, I, I was really enjoying what you three were doing in terms of your characters. Like, it, it worked really well in terms of action. That I kind of stuck with that and then trimmed out bits later on rather than trying to, like, hurry you through. So I think, I, you know, part of this, it kind of just comes down to your gut. Like, if people are in the moment, then it's perfectly fine to kind of stick with something. It's why you don't want to overplan, and it's kind of why I find... Um, pre-written adventures quite hard sometimes because you're kind of beholden to the text more mm. so than if you've only got a couple of brief notes and can uh improvise on the fly and that's not for everyone but i think just that ability to be like okay you know what let's save the rest for another session or whatever it may be you know recording a video is a specific situation but i would say just yeah don't overdo your planning and just yeah, over time you'll just get a feeling of like, oh, this is something that's worth sticking with, or this is something that just needs dropping. But at the end of the day, if everyone's kind of enjoying it, it doesn't really matter how long or short a particular scene goes on. Mm, yeah, I've had that with Dishonored the other week. Uh, I actually had planned a lot more than what we played through. <laughs> and uh, people would just... People spent so much time at the beginning <laughs> with... <laughs> with talking to contacts and various things but it was hilarious like uh watching over that that playthrough again like those first initial bits with the contact like are really great so i think you know making sure that whatever's there you can gauge kind of what your players reactions are to different things so obviously if they're really getting into it then i think there's no harm in kind of letting it go but also like you know, finding ways to maybe rein it in if, like, you're like, okay, you know, maybe some of the players have had enough of this and it's time to move on to something else. Uh, but, yeah, like, cutting things back later or even, like, cutting into into additional setting, like, sorry, sessions um, might be a good idea um, because, yeah, like, going on the fly is fine and, you know, you can always use stuff you've planned later in other campaigns just integrate that stuff in it never goes to waste recycle I, yeah i do think that um some gms t tend to like hyper detail uh which means that especially for the kind of stuff that we do where we have like hard time limits like johnny will go up on stage at an event and it, and they'll get told like you have an hour and a half yep. to do a full adventure and it has to have a conclusion so like he is constantly thinking how can i push this along how can i move this this doesn't work anymore the kind of things like that but even when we're recording for the channel, like, well, we usually record like three hours worth, so we've only got so long where we can put things in. Mm. So you have to be, um, you have to be super adaptable and flexible if you're trying to keep it within a certain time frame. But also, I would say that if you've got, like, say that you're like, okay, let's just do it in multiple sessions, and after two sessions, like, you still haven't really gotten to the crux of what you've done. I think that you should then look at your own adventure that you've been giving to these players. And say, well, have I been giving them too much, you know, like of the of the boring stuff, right? There's always a 
a rule that gets taught in like creative writing courses and stuff like that where it's like is this the most important thing that your character has ever done and if not why are you not writing about that mm, so it's like yeah. if you're if you're spending all of your time like if even if just the fact that you go into a town and they meet the initial guards and they just get completely obsessed with these guards and they think that they're the most like interesting things to play around with and they completely ignore your adventure you have to then pre- be prepared to either say am I alright to spend an entire session dealing with a side character I didn't even think about and then carrying on with the adventure which means that we are super behind like schedule, like open brackets um, or do I just want to like lean into what my players are getting the yeah. most enjoyment out of make them more important characters and like allow them to retrieve the things that they're trying to get based on what they're already trying to do because at the end of the day like if your characters never see something it doesn't matter if you wrote it or not so you have to you have to not What's, what's the you have to kill your darlings is the other oh. like you know you, you're like you might have spent ages thinking about this cool building but if they never go to it then just forget about it like because you're gonna yep. waste time trying to push them in that direction they'll get bored and they'll get stuck and i think you're better off just saying okay well you know i was gonna give them this this clue or this item or whatever in a different situation but they've spent so much time here let's reward them for having a good time right yeah i think that's the important thing to take from it yeah Lolis? I've never DM'd. So I've, <laughs> never written, I've never written an adventure. I just want to make um, sure you so. <laughs> Oh, I feel very good. I'm listening intently and trying to take notes mentally so that I can, when I get to that point. Like, I kind of started putting together, like, pieces of, some, an, of, an, uh, of an adventure I'd like to put together, but I've not actually done anything with it. Um, and so I'm, like, constantly taking notes oh. when people ask these questions so that when I get to the, when I have a minute to do that, that I can then have an idea of where to start and where to go Excellent. and mm. all that stuff. So you... But I think also um, there is going to be a video tomorrow, yeah. which uh, is with Johnny and Luke Westaway from Outside Extra. And that's kind of looking at this kind of thing. Um, it's looking at, yeah. Like the process something like those. writing kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, yeah, really it's a two-parter, I believe. If you're, if you're listening, mm-hmm. uh, Jamie. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's worth, like, kind of repeating that, you know, everyone has a slightly different approach. Some people will write loads and loads and be happy to kind of let a lot of it go. Some people will make four lines of text and just flow with it. And, you know, it, if it works for you, it works for you. But, yeah, to some degree, you won't know that. So, like, don't be afraid to not necessarily fail yeah. but to have those kind of things where it's like oh i've run out of stuff or oh i'm having to you know cut a lot of this mm. it's it's perfectly fine like everyone does differently groups are different you'll just find what works for you and your group uh, yeah the time. So, i yeah. think it definitely depends on the rpg though because like for dishonored i did a lot of planning for that like a lot but that's because dishonored is revolved around level like the video games are revolved around level design mm. and like so i think so is the the RPG, so you can't really lax on that. Whereas when I did a playthrough of uh, Lazen Feelings, I literally wrote a single page, yeah. and then from there I just freestyled it the entire time. So I think it really does depend on like the RPG as well, like what people expect out of it and what they want out of it. Yeah, sure. I think I think the example that always sticks in my head is that like a friend's campaign uh, that they were playing in, like one of the characters died because it was one of those. I think it was Ghost of Saltmarsh or something like that. And, like, one of the characters died because they went into this house 
and they cleared all the rooms and then one of the players is definitely one of those like I want to look at every single thing kind of players so they were like we haven't gone in the basement let's go in the basement and they found some like like giant spiders like something really crap and like no one cares about and like the combat encounter was hard enough or they were beaten up enough that one of the characters died failed all their death saves and the character's gone forever because they just looked in a basement but like uh, like if I was GMing in that situation I would make those spiders really important do you know what I mean like I would not want my player to think sorry like you you went to sweep up some cobwebs and got your head bitten <laughs> off like it's you want you want them to feel like they've like earned something via the stuff that they put in right because if they put in all this effort and all these hours of exploring and, and whatever and you just come back and say yeah we haven't actually touched the main story I think that feels like a um it feels like you haven't got out what you've put in, and that, yeah. that can be frustrating for a lot of players, I think. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Alex Meehan, would you like to read this next one from Patrick Rose? Oh, my goodness. Patrick Rose asks, which game has the best cover art? Ooh. Let's Go. expand this a little bit, because I was thinking about this, and I was like, I can't think of any cover art now. So just general art style, I think, if there's an art style that's really stood out to you. It's Baron Park. Baron Park. Baron Park. It's you, Baron When you Park. say best, do you mean goofiest, <laughs> Best, Mr. Whelan! <laughs> dare you! Uh, that I cover really art like, is amazing! I, I really like really minimalist and really colourful stuff like Bastali and Azul. Like, mm. Azul is just a really pretty box. Like, And I know it's basically just tile designs, but it looks really good on your shelf, you know? Like, I always yeah. love those kind of like minimalist, really poppy designs. Mm. Lodi's is surveying the options now. Let me tell you about mm. Baron Park. So, uh, <laughs> Baron sake. Park uh, by Phil Walker Harding, he's a very nice man, and he also designed Sushi Go, uh, has a bear on it, and the bear is looking at this woman who's the ranger in the park, in the, the bear park, uh, and uh, the bear really likes her, and you can see the lovely relationship they have. <laughs> the years of you know her looking after him and him like you know <laughs> reciprocating whatever affections there and i think it really tells a deep story that all of us can get immersed in and a fun thing about that box art um which when i was talking to phil one time he told me uh the original design for baron park was just going to be like a theme amusement park which is you know, uh, nothing spectacular. But then the publisher said, why don't we make it a bear part? And he was like, that's a great idea. And then they were going to put like a builder on the front of the box. And then he was like, nah, mate, put the ranger on the front of the box. Because the ranger looks after the bear. Because why would the builder be with the bear, you know? I'm just looking at that cover and I think it's really ugly. It's How incredibly dare you? <laughs> like one viewers at home. Or listeners at home to, to Google Baron Park I and see the horrendous artwork that Mean is obsessed by with. this terrible opinion. <laughs> Before so it ugly. descends into an argument over bears, I'll jump in and say that I really... Uh, I'll throw a couple out here. I really, really love the work of Tanya Walker, um, who has done a, only a handful of games, I think, um, but some of her games include... or art includes Dracula's Feast and The Lady and the Tiger. Um which are from a small kind of publisher called, I think, Jellybean Games. Um, I think they're Australian. But they're these very small kind of card games. Dracula's Feast is kind of your classic social deduction thing. You dance with different monsters. But that's got a very kind of, oh, is it Ed Edward Gorey? 
like the black like stark black and white art like very kind of 1920s 1940s horror mm-hmm. um and then lady and the tiger is this kind of gorgeous kind of almost like disney-esque um blue and red uh art style so and i think both of those games just look incredible uh i'll also say uh moria who does has worked on things like dinosaur island and i think overlight the the rpg yeah i see um, that does some yeah. amazing stuff yeah i like um, dinosaur island yeah so really really distinctive um obviously kyle Farron. let's just put that yes. out there yeah um, i was about to say root is obviously yeah. beautiful yeah root eat vast even though i don't like the game the the art oh, skeletons lovely. man the, yeah. the skeletons are great uh and fort the upcoming fort so he's i will say it. um the, I can't remember the artist's name, but the, the guy who does a lot of work with Tim Fowers. I always love the box designs on his oh, games. Oh, yeah, Ryan Goldsbury, I think it's Yeah, it's like, like um, Burgle Bros is like a building, so it's like the box of, is the building that you're breaking into kind of thing, and like Fugitive is like a little suitcase. Like They're, they're always really nice little like creative mm. designs, which I'm a big fan of. Mm. And it's got that nice sort of like poppy kind of 60s uh, art style to it. I think we were talking about this game a week or two ago, Spicy. Oh, uh, yeah. That new spicy. one that's coming out that looks really cool. Like, I would want to get that, like, tattooed somewhere. Oh, that's <laughs> very, very cool. On a more serious, cool art. Uh, more serious note, I really like the cover for Cosmic Encounters. Um, I think the art style for that is really nice. I don't know who the artist is, uh, unfortunately. I'm sure I can look it up at some point. Uh, Speaking of space games... Star Realms. Star Realms the big has box incredibly looks ugly pretty art. Pretty good. <laughs> no, don't say it now. No, doesn't look, no I'm not ladies. talking about the small box. I'm talking about the big box. The, I don't. All of the cards have bad art. <laughs> <laughs> no, they do. They're beautiful. They're so ugly. They look like they look like something that would be green screened into the back of a 60s Star Trek episode. <laughs> They're so bad. Ex- Shut up. No, they don't. Savage. Absolutely <laughs> savage. <laughs> I love them, and I am entitled to my own opinion. <laughs> oh, I also really like facade game. Is it the ones that have those books? They're like they look like books, but they're board games. Kind oh of thing. yeah, it's like, like Tortuga. Tortuga. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are really nice. Well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think Star your opinions stink. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of space games, also Twilight Imperium Four, which has just—it's not like. I don't think it's, it's so dramatic, great, but it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> it's just like someone looked at people every love space sci-fi lines, thing every, every yeah, yeah, like every every like eighty sci-fi epic book, and we're like, yeah. I think RPGs in general have got board games beat. To be honest, they've got the prettiest mm. cover art. Yeah, um, but the art Lance, is such Lancer a... has some incredible art. Actually, we were talking about that earlier. And Quest, yeah. we mentioned yeah, Quest. Quest, like, is, Quest is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was a question that came up that I didn't put in for this week, but someone was asking about video game, um, the video games you'd like to see made into board games. Yes. And although it's kind of a cheat, I started thinking about World of Horror, which kind of pulls from like uh, mm. Zhongji Ito horror. <gasps> oh, and I, I really, really want like to see that like game. a horror RPG with like real kind of like black and white, like really twisted kind of designs, because mm. I don't mm. think it's something I've really seen a lot in yeah. games. Um, but yeah, I yeah, think more I mean, nowadays, like the the visuals of board games and RPGs in general mm. is so the bar is so high mm. um, that in I some think... ways it's easy for mediocre games to slip through yes. under 
everyone yeah, pretty face but um, uh, I'd really like to see uh, just a quick note I'd really like to see a board game based on like a super giants anything that super giant has done because their art style the the video game developers so like Pyre or Hades their art oh, style those guys yes okay yeah yeah, yeah. Their, their art style is amazing like whoever does the art for those Alright, uh, shall we... I don't think I've read one yet, so I'll read this one. Yeah, you go. Uh, and it happens to be from Elliot Brooks, who is a friend of mine. So hello, Brooks. Oh, um, nepotism. <laughs> full disclosure. Um, and he, he actually was... I bring this up because he was involved in the game of diplomacy I played on Backstabber. Uh, and his question is, in games where you choose between cooperation and deception, diplomacy, etc., where do you tend to fall on the spectrum? Do you get more enjoyment out of finding the way to a team win, or do you prioritise shooting the moon and winning alone, lowlies? <laughs> Wait, are you asking this because I brought this up last week? Uh, when Dean, just your Dean general general yeah. philosophy when it comes yeah. to Well, I actually brought this up when Dean was on the podcast with us, because um, there's a game called Human Punishment that we're big fans of, uh, a hidden role kind of game. Um... And we played it, I played it on a different stream before, and there was like, I don't know, like 10 of us playing or something, it was loads of us. And um, I was, I can't remember what team I was on, I think I might have been like a human or something. And so people are split into like humans, robots, and outlaws who are just out for themselves. Human and robots are trying to get rid of each other. Um, and humans are also trying to get rid of outlaws i think anyway either way i was a human let's just say and so was dean i think and humans were about to win um and yeah we were like gonna win in a couple of turns but (laughs) one of the guys who was on my team is a good friend of mine and i was like i don't want you to win with us (laughs) so a good friend of mine so i don't want him to win (laughs) It was just, it was supposed to be a joke, right? Because you can, like, switch people's alliances throughout the game. So I then played a card on him that switched his alliance, and now he was a robot and he was on the other team. And slowly, um, as the game went on, every other human started turning into robots as well. <laughs> Until it was just me, by myself, as a human. And I was like, oh, she. Um, and I was like, right, well, I'm obviously about to lose, like, by myself, even though I was so close to victory. I just decided to obviously backstab my friend. Um, and then, thankfully, I managed to convert Dean back into a human with me, and we, like, clawed a victory um, at, at the very end. That's not the ending I wanted was... to hear. I wanted to oh, hear that you completely so suffered funny. for your terrible actions. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, they, like, edited the video um, of the of the stream, and they edited out us winning, so it looks like <laughs> we lost in the end, uh, which is really annoying, because it now exists like that i swear I you I, oh sorry carry on me in. i was just gonna say ladies i swear you've made it your life's goal to make as many people realize that that was edited out the stream and that you won that game it was i i did dean and i won that game together and it looks like we lost and it's not fair. is this like when you pretended to win blood rage i see what's going on okay don't bring that up Whoa. again will please don't so. I technically won. Mm, oh, gosh, Wills, quickly. When it comes to hidden role games, I do think... Um, well, not not just hidden role games, I guess, but, like, I do f- tend to find that when, when it's one of those games where you don't know who to trust kind of thing, like, I always feel a bit like, uh, but then it's really nice having at least one other person that you know 
that you absolutely know that that person's good or mm. like that person's yeah. on your team even if you're just like you know like werewolf or whatever you are one of the werewolves and you've seen them when everybody else had their eyes closed just having that like trusted ally by you feels mm. really good i think that's like i think that speaks to the fact that i prefer to build teams rather than to like uh screw people over a lot of the mm. time but yeah. i think most people assume that i'm the other way around so they're like, oh, I'm not going to trust wheels. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Sat yeah. on the playground with with a ball, just being like, oh. I'm I'm kind of it's like I I like I prefer being the the spy, the werewolf, whatever. But I much prefer it when it's with at least one other person because yeah. I like that sense of kind of the tension of yeah. oh, mm. it's us against the world almost. But mm. I'm not, you know, I don't necessarily go out just to be a dick to people essentially in games but i think generally i like i like games where there's a bit of like a bit of backstabbing but it's never even when it's really harsh like i would rather i'd rather then everyone team up against me and take me down because it, like it's funnier that way i guess mm. i'm just in it you know for for the for a fun time so like i've i've definitely when i played the board game of dune i teamed up with someone and then we got really far ahead and then I turned on them in an attempt to win alone. And they then teamed up with a person I had just kind of, you know, messed with. And then they both wiped the floor with me. <laughs> but it was really fun because it was that sense of like, oh, right, like I got what I deserved. But everything was in the game. It wasn't me being, you know, mean out in real life, anything mm. like that. So, like, I was kind of okay with it. Like, it was fine. Like, I would prefer something fun and kind of entertaining than just kind of like a, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I... The, th- the funny thing is, I like people might realize I like to talk a lot, and I like people to like. What? I like people to like me. So in essence, when I'm like a traitor, getting people to actually believe me, like believe that I'm innocent and be on my side, is like the most the strongest drug. But like I, if I am a traitor, I instantly go through. How no matter how many times we've been playing the game, I instantly go through the stage of oh god no, I've got to try and do this, got to try and lie to people, because uh, I'm actually quite bad at lying in general, mostly because I don't like doing it. <laughs> it's not like I'm a moral upstanding citizen, you know. Like I know it's a game, but I it's still the guilt of doing it, and also I, I have so many tells that um like it it. I'm not very good at it. So I tend to prefer to be on the loyalty team, you know, working against the traitors than than a traitor. And if I am a traitor, like the other guys, I prefer to be with someone else, like to know at least there's someone on my side. Um, it's scary being alone. Mm. I'm... It's it's funny that you say that about like that you're you don't like lying and it, like because the thing is I always like being like the bad guys in, in those kind of games and I get a kick out of lying in the game because I think really I think like it's because this. in real life <laughs> in real life I I can't lie I'm a terrible liar and it, I hate it it just makes me really uncomfortable but in that game because it's obviously it's a game no one's getting hurt you're not doing yeah. like it's part of the game and also. Because I've played, especially like Secret Hitler, I've played a lot of it, that I got to a point where I got really good at lying because I knew what lies worked and what, like, just, I just kind of knew, I kind of started understanding what lies worked and what, like, um, what I could say and and 
what I could flip and, and stuff like that. And I, I just love that confrontation in the games. I hate confrontation in real life, but in those games, I love it because I think it's just like, I know it's fake. So I, I kind of like revel in it for the, for the time that I get. Um, yeah, I can't play That's any me. with my wife because, like, I'm I'm a really poor liar in real life. So she'll just turn to me and be like, "Are you lying?" And I'll just immediately <laughs> crack. So yeah. we can't play those games together anymore um, because I'm just like, if I'm a werewolf, if I'm a spy, it's it's all over basically. Because I'll just <laughs> come under interrogation once and be like, "Yes." Um, let's try and fit this one in uh, very quickly at the end, although it's a big question. But um, oh, Maybe great, yeah. Try a smaller one, <laughs> But I think I think we can do it. Uh, uh, who are we circling back around to? Wills, let's circle back around to you. Uh, if you could read this one from Caitlin, please. What do you think sparked the recent popularity surge that the board game industry has had over the last five years or so, excluding the obvious inclusions in TV shows, etc.? I think no. I think the inclusions in TV shows came after the fact. I think the the reason board games have have like surged for me, I think so much is that whilst video games have become huge and and like a big thing that everyone is a part of now, like people are becoming less and less um, like entwined in the same rooms with each other and just like seeing each other's physical like actions and faces and stuff like that. I think like there was a genuine sort of um, like outcry from from players to be like i want to sit in a room with people again i want to pick up things and move them around like I, I genuinely think it was just like in i'm gonna sound like a massive boomer here but in in a world where technology is more connected than ever we were so disconnected from each other uh, yeah and i think it's just like people were outcrying for that that sort of like human connection again i, I think that pushed it all together combined with like a huge burst in really creative designs mm. and just like a general increase in quality i think it, it just like you know it was lightning in a bottle and it, it blew up and now because it's such a popular thing and it's become sort of pop culture i think that's why it's now like exploding hmm. as soon as yeah. you said think- in inner world i was like <laughs> <laughs> beginning of any trailer <laughs> I think also the the rise in board game popularity kind of came at the time when there was just a general rise in nostalgia. Mm. So like a lot of people are like reverting back to like listening to records mm-hmm. and like just all that stuff. And I, I heard I don't like I don't I haven't seen these like figures myself, but I know I was told a few years ago that um, the rise in board game sales has approximately the same trajectory as the rise in record sales. Mm. Um, and it just seems to like be part of this whole like this whole movement, I guess, of of going back to that nostalgic stuff from like your past or your parents' past. Um, and board games just make sense because it's it is like that's just part of that same kind of time, mm. isn't it? I think same people are big collectors time. nowadays as well. You mm. know, like mm. um, you know, like Funko Pops got big at the same time. Like all that kind of like tats. <laughs> like mm. people love like nice looking objects on their shelf you know i think as the sort of general like age cap of gamers has risen like i think you know people have got more expendable income and they're and they're more likely to be like well i've got an, i've got a house now i want to fill it with nice things i like i was just gonna say well we can't afford houses so we might as well spend it on board yeah exactly right you know I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm renting a house now so i might as well fill it with things that i can actually afford um but yeah like you know board games especially nowadays are really nice products so they're really pretty mm. to look at like we were just talking about some of the incredible art 
um, that you can have. And then, like, some of the biggest Kickstarters are the ones that are full of models of stuff that people love, you know, like Batman and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think it's that same kind of vibe. <laughs> you like, sounded more like nice a... things on shelves. You sounded more like a boomer then than you did earlier when you're like, oh, technology. <laughs> well, that, that Batman miniatures game was enormous. Yeah. So there you Up go. Up to the point where you said you were renting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think you've kind of hit on the on the head there like i think yeah part of it's nostalgia i think part of it is like particularly i'm gonna say our generation it's a very broad kind of thing but a a certain generation you know grew up with like local multiplayer video games and now they're all online so when you've got people in the same room you're not necessarily like sitting around like an n64 or whatever to play something together so a board game kind of fills that hole to some Mm. degree it's like here's the thing we play together you know i think a certain generation is not going down like the pub as much they're like staying at home so the money that would go there they're spending on doing stuff at home with friends instead and then i think yeah like lodi said the and wills as well like there's an element of like particularly kickstarter where it's like designs that are way more interesting can get out there they games are a lot more expensive but because they're kind of direct to you you know, they are cheaper in some ways than having to go through shops who have to take their cart and distributors who take their cart. And it also means that you get these way more inventive things that can cater to, you know, a couple of thousand people or even a couple of hundred people rather than having to be this very kind of bland, mainstream, like Monopoly, um, for instance. So you can get things that really strike that quarter of people where it's like, I like Batman, I like, you know, whatever, or I just like this aesthetic i like this kind of mechanic and they cater a lot more to them so people are willing to put the money in and then they will have their friendship group that is into that i think it's the same reason you know tabletop rpgs are coming back into Mm. back into fashion um Mm. it's because people are socializing in a different kind of way nowadays um Mm. but there's a lot more there for them to socialize with it's kind of like a, a catalyst god i sound terrible a catalyst for social whatever yeah. You get, like you can see it in the backlash of video games as well. I think there's like mm. way more couch co-op stuff is now um, like making a resurgence because they're like, oh, like people miss this. Like people be miss being able to sit down and play things together. And mm. you can see that in the board game rise, and then you can see the reaction from it with the yeah. you know, like the previous yeah. big hobby kind of thing. And you see video games drawing from like deck builders, like Slave yeah. Aspire is yeah, a deck yeah. builder. So it's kind of going both ways, <laughs> feeding into each other. You know, yeah. Wheels, you've got a. Cat I know I've got cats moving around. I think Rosie was. I just saw I just saw a cat head coming out of nowhere, like peeking around the corner, like. Um, I there's been we've already extensively talked about this, but I would just add from my point of view, it'd be maybe even the case of designers who, you know, when they were kids, were potentially playing like really classic board games like Monopoly, whatever. Um, but as they grew up, they were potentially like we want to make games that are what we want to make that are you know the kind of games that we want to see out there so you know a lot of the a lot of the big designers uh the big names are you know older people who have kind of you know got their experience also they've they've had their childhoods or, or younger years of playing games and they're like we want to you know produce stuff that we are interested in and that kind of meant that the new ideas are coming in uh, and those new ideas are then spawning new ideas with you know the people who play those games and go on to design games themselves so Mm. I think part of it is like the rolling 
nature of things influencing other things influencing other things mm. uh, and like those designs and those ideas will naturally get better and better because they're drawing there's they have more to draw on like now like people designing games now have a lot more to draw on so they're not having you make it hmm? sorry sorry go on well, yeah they're not having to just do the same old thing all the time yeah you're making a good point actually because like when you're saying like the they're drawing from other things like when we talk about video games like almost versus board games actually a lot of them kind of they there is a lot of like mm. i think wheels just said obviously like a lot of kind of crossover because like when you think about like blood rage obviously are now bringing out like a video game or have brought out a video game version um gloomhaven which is like number one spot and has been for several years is um you know is it the the inspiration for that came from video games yeah. um so it's quite interesting how the like mm. it's all crossing over and i think a lot of people who maybe consider themselves video gamers are becoming board gamers and vice versa yeah. mm. i think it, sure. the thing is about the thing is about video games is that a lot of their improvement has come from the fact that technology has gotten better and you know people are more willing to give it a go um than, than maybe before it's it, also because it's less of a niche thing now and I think board games kind of going in the similar direction not necessarily with technology but maybe like production value and like design uh, and obviously variety um, but obviously with, with with it becoming a bit more less niche and a bit more mainstream uh, that will probably go in a similar way Although hopefully we won't end up with the kind of rubbish that we have to deal with with video games. <laughs> All right. Well, I think, like I say, it was a, it's a big question. I'm sure like we'll come back to it because it's, yeah. it's something that keeps coming up. But um, for now, we will have to uh, bring Ooh. this all to a close. Uh, so before we uh, leave you, listeners, before we leave you, listeners, uh, what do we have coming up on the Dicebreaker YouTube channel? Video uh, team. So, yeah, we, we briefly recommended that um, that video series that Johnny and uh, Luke Westaway will be doing, which, if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, should be tomorrow, uh, unless something horrible happens. Uh, and then <laughs> and then the day after that, Lolis, we've got... It's Dicebaker. That's we right. said it last week, but it never happened because I had some audio issues myself. <laughs> so um, I've had to reshoot some bits. Uh, but it will be out this week. Mm. Hopefully. <laughs> will, uh, will the second part of Dishonored be out by the time this podcast goes out? Uh, the second yeah, part that... of Dishonored will be out after we finish recording this podcast. So look forward mm-hmm. to that. Fantastic. Um, and then... Uh, yeah. And it's worth saying Dungeon Breaker will be taking a break but only a very short one for one week and then it will be back next weekend uh, on mm-hmm. Saturday as as usual at free uh, so and no doubt some of us will be in the chat for that mm. uh, as we continue our adventures and then over on the website which is dicebreaker.com mm. uh, Johnny's review of the new Warhammer box set uh, Indomitus which is a very Warhammer it's Warhammer 40,000 and boy is it Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, his review of that is now live uh, kind of running through that that's out later this month I think Um, so if you're interested in what the ninth edition of Warhammer 40k looks like that's up Uh, we've got coming up uh, perhaps by the time you listen to this if not soon after um, uh, Alex Meehan has previewed the new D&D sourcebook which is Mythic Odysseys of Ferros 
which is kind of Greek-inspired mm. uh, stuff. <laughs> it, it's like a, a crossover with Magic the Gathering, right? It's a Magic yeah. the Gathering world brought to D&D. Yeah. So. yeah, like the Pharos set of Magic the Gathering. Uh, there are four now. Uh, the most recent one being Pharos Beyond Death, which came out earlier this year. And so they've uh, released a D&D sourcebook based on the world of Pharos. Uh, and uh, yeah, I spoke to the lead designers on that source book, uh, and we talk about all sorts of exciting Greek and D and D related things. Mm-hmm. And then, so we already have the Pandemic <laughs> Legacy Season Zero uh, trailer up on the site. Mm. Uh, but as I say, not by the time you hear this, but hopefully shortly after, uh, we will have uh, some some more information on that game uh, <gasps> and. Perhaps even an interview with its designers. Who could say? Oh my um, goodness! Mr. Uh, Ambassador, you are spoiling us. <laughs> I don't think I can say any more than that. Uh, but yes, we will. We will be taking a look at Pandemic Legacy Season mm. Zero in greater depth uh, very soon. So mm. keep your eyes tuned to DiceBreaker.com for that. <laughs> and uh, by the time and your ears peeled, <laughs> I almost said peeled. Um, and by the time this podcast goes out, there will be a list on the site for the top 10 social deduction board games. There will Topical, be. After yeah. being discussed on this very podcast. Mm-hmm. Along with the, the various daily bits of news and whatnot. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, there's plenty to check out on youtube.com forward slash dicebreaker and dicebreaker.com. But for now uh, we will leave you dear listeners. I don't know why I've turned into like some kind of audio book host. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt Jarvis please tell the nice listeners and, and viewers uh, where they can find us on Twitter and where they can buy some lovely things as well. Oh, sure, we'll jump ahead to that. <laughs> so yes, uh, you can buy some merch. And we'll have some new merch very soon, in fact, uh, on dicebreaker.myshopify.com. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter at Join Dicebreaker. You can find us on <laughs> Facebook at slash Dicebreaker. Instagram, I think, is just Dicebreaker. Um, and as I said, if you've got questions for the podcast, email them to podcast at dicebreaker.com. And who knows, it might be you inspiring the next tangent away from your question um, on next week's episode. But until then, I have been Matt Jarvis. Thank you for joining me, Alex Lowlies. Hello, thank you. Um, <laughs> happy Quinceanera. Oh, no, we've wrapped all the way around. Uh, thank you for joining us, Alex Meehan. Oh, it's been wonderful. I can't think of anything I'd rather do. <laughs> wow, so sincere. And thank you for joining us, uh, Michael Wills Whelan. Thanks very oh, much. I've been demoted. I'm going to just keep moving those wheels around. No, that's a promotion, I reckon. I'm now uh, zero officer rather than first officer. So that's, that's better. Uh, the Dicebreaker podcast will be back next Friday uh, to slip into your holes. But until then. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Have Bye, Matt. Bye. a lovely day. Bye. Bye.